the way I start most of my books, actually, in one way or another, saying you're going to die one day, right? <laughs> all, this is the truth. It's right coming right up around the corner, and we're all going to get there. And when you realize this, that everything you feel revolves around death, we all also psychologically know that death is coming. What you do with your life in the time that you have is important. And your choices are important, but that does not necessarily mean you have to have the most efficient life possible so that when you're on your deathbed, you're like, ah, I used all of my time perfectly. Right. It just means you are living your life the way you want to right now and where you get to is where you get to at the end of the day. And I, I believe that we should be making progress. We should be taking risks, but there's no one right path on how to do it. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Could you imagine climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in record time with no training? How about spending five hours in a 180 degree sauna? Most people think these are nearly impossible feats, but our guest today has done them both. Today on the podcast, we are welcoming back for the second time superhuman performance hacker, investigative journalist, and anthropologist Scott Carney. You make me sound much cooler than I actually am. <laughs> That's my goal. That is the goal of the interviewer. <laughs> Scott is the author of numerous books, including the New York Times bestseller, What Doesn't Kill Us, that talks about his experience studying with Wim Hof, who holds 28 world records for various superhuman acts. From this experience, Scott learned how to hack his body, train his mind to climb count and train his mind to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in record time with no training and just wearing shorts. Scott also spent five hours in a sauna that would kill most humans. He has a new book out titled The Wedge. In Scott's new book, he addresses how people can wedge control over their automatic physiological responses and control their bodies and minds to perform superhuman tasks. Scott has worked in some of the most dangerous and unlikely corners of the world as an investigative journalist. He has writings that have appeared in Wired, Men's Journal, Playboy, and Fast Company. He has been the subject of many TV programs, including NPR and National Geographic 
TV. Scott won the Payne Award for Ethics for a story which tracked an international kidnapping to adoption ring, and he is with us on the podcast today. Scott, I have to say you're getting really close if you're not qualified to be uh, Dos Equis most interesting man in the world with all of the things that you've done That'd so be far. Awesome. Right? Can you imagine the pivot? I've been an investigative journalist for like 15, 20 years, uh-huh. and then I pivot into like uh, a model for a beer company. <laughs> I would freaking love that. That would be the best. That would be the most interesting thing to do, actually. <laughs> when I thought of that, when I was reading or creating your intro here, I was thinking we need a contest for, you know, they have the most beautiful or handsome man or whatever and woman. I was like, we need a contest for the most interesting man and woman in the world. And then I would put you, I would put your name in and on it. I would say Scott. Oh, cool. I mean, I think I would not get um, the first prize, but if I could just be on the, um, the honorable Even mentions, I'd up. be very I excited. Mean, top 50. I mean, I would be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah. I, uh, you know, uh, things are, uh, you know, I've been in, my house for a very long time since april more or less i mean you know in denver anyway and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to getting on to new projects that would be fun good my work believe it or not involves a lot of travel uh, and going places and seeing things and most of the countries i want to go to do not let me in (laughs) yeah and, and from a traveler myself like i completely understand that like have you traveled any since so you guys that are listening depending on whenever you listen it's october 2020 so covid's been around for a while um not a lot of people are traveling have you been traveling much scott you're talking into the future and you're assuming covid's over i mean it could be that you're talking and these were the good old days (laughs) believe it or not so hello future self (laughs) well let's just hope these aren't the good old days we let's just hope these are the bad old days or you know the hard times <laughs> the hard the, not the golden years the hard times but have you been traveling at all like or are you just been staying put yeah i did go to visit my wife's family up in idaho uh briefly uh and then uh, i'm gonna go on a road trip like in two days i'm gonna go to santa fe and mm-hmm. tell you ride and oh goodness. man going to be it's going to be fun i mean that's just like you know within six or seven hours of my house so yeah we'll see it'll be it'll be interesting i wonder if uh if what it'll be like out there in the other parts of the world well i've done a couple road trips like just wear your mask and enjoy the road trip that's all it is it's just like at home but you're on the road you know stopping in gas stations and you know um but telluride is one of my favorite cities on earth so enjoy it Mm. you've been before I have never been actually. Uh, I've, I've been. I've heard nothing but great things about it. Yes, enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. So, so we had you on the show. I think it's probably almost two years ago. It was episode four hundred and nine, and now we're at episode four hundred and eighty or something like that. Um, talking about ice bass, you climbing Kilimanjaro with Wim Hof and biohacking and all the cool things. Um, but it seems like you've just continued the pace over the past couple of years. Uh, you now have a new book, The Wedge, out and a newer book. And it came out in April. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. The, the two day, like like a week after the whole country got into lockdown. Great timing. Great timing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As that actually, that may help sales. I don't know. Do you think that has helped sales or hurt sales or? Oh, no. It was, it's been catastrophic for sales. I mean, it was, yeah. it, was it was like, you know, I had a lot of media coverage because I had done a whole media plan up to that point. So they sort of like, you know, wrote a little, I got 
in a lot of places, but everyone was concerned about the lockdown. And my book is a lot about going out into the world and doing things. Right? <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you know, go out and you sort of like meet people and, you know, you know, face dangers and stuff like that. And like the dangers now are so existential yeah. that, uh, that, that the book I needed to write was sit at home and meditate, do everything at home. Yeah. You know? uh, and so that is, uh, it's you know it is what it is. There is certainly the book is getting an audience, and I, you know people are talking about it. But I, it, it did not do what What Doesn't Kill Us did out of the gate. Well, maybe this is like a good time to to talk about like how you can optimize your life at home. Because mm-hmm. what I found through Corona is that if we don't like or love our living spaces, it's going to greatly affect us when we are on lockdown, but it also really affects us when we're not on lockdown. And we may not know it because we may just be at home, you know, to sleep or to eat dinner and sleep. And then we're gone for the rest of the day going about our lives. Um, So one of the things we've been doing, we were just talking before the show, we built an MMA gym in our garage and we have an ice bath, an ice cold plunge in the backyard and a slack line in in the yard as well. And we have a co-working space in our house too. So we've got like a place where a few of us can co-work, but also train, stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, We get stressed out, go take an ice bath, chill. The only thing I don't have that I almost got, but I was, I didn't buy it for whatever reason was a sauna, but I know you have Mm -hmm. a sauna in your house now. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you optimize your living space? Has it changed since Corona hit or were, did you have it down pretty well before COVID? So, yeah, I'm, I work from home and I have worked from home for the last 20 years. So nothing substantial has changed in my sort of day to day, right? Because okay. my commute is from my bedroom to my office. That's 15 feet. My coworker is my wife. We don't wear masks, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I've got a nice yard. I've got two cats uh, and the, the, the things that have not. And, and I love my house. My house is like ideal. Like it's, you know, not too big, not too small. You know, it's it's just right. And I have a sauna, which I was not using in the summer because it was 100 degrees here. And who wants to go in a sauna when it's already a sauna <laughs> yeah. outside? Um, but it's get, just getting cold now. So we're starting to get into it again, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't really believe in the idea of optimization, right? And this is okay. a thing that the biohacking community loves. It's like, right. if you look at all your markers and your data of your life, right? If you could just do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get 10% more efficient yeah. or happy or something like that. To me, that's all great, whatever, go for it. Mm-hmm. But how do you feel is the question. Like the, the entrance point is not, um, you know, make six changes to your diet and then you're be super awesome in every way. Um, it's just like, do the things you like, you know, make small incremental progress every day, no yeah. matter how small it is, you know, but a little bit. So you're working towards a goal and then just enjoy yourself. Like if you do that, you are optimized because there's no, like, you know, the way I start most of my books actually in one way or another saying you're going to die one day, right? This is the, (laughs) this is the truth. It's right coming right up around the corner and we're all going to get there. Uh And when you realize this, that everything you feel revolves around death and, you know, so we all also psychologically know that death is coming. What you do with your life in the time that you have is important and your, your choices are important. But that does not necessarily mean you have to have the most efficient life possible so that when you're on your deathbed, you're like, ah, I used all of my time perfectly. It just means 
you are living your life the way you want to right now and where you get to is where you get to at the end of the day. Uh, and I, I believe that we should be making progress, we should be taking risks, but, but there's no one right path on how to do it. Right. right. And certainly not someone else telling you, this is what you must do. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a big Wim Hof guy. I'm, I love the breath work. I love the sauna. I love the throwing the kettlebells. I do all of this stuff. And that's been my path and I love it. I would never tell you that you have to do this, right? right? If you did these 10 things, you would be perfect. You would be superhuman. <laughs> like, no, that's fucking bullshit. Like, right. like, if your life path is sit on your couch and eat Cheetos and really get good at Netflix, who am I to tell you that that's not the right way to do it? I mean, it's not my choices. Right. They're your choices. Yeah. And we shouldn't judge like where creative genius comes from because people, sometimes people sitting on a couch eating Cheetos can come up with the most creative things that change the world, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I found Wim Hof initially, and this was back in Wim Hof's like the famous ice bath guru, yeah. right? I, I, I was the first journalist to really write about him and take, take him seriously, for instance, you know, and this was back in 2011, but I found him on Reddit. Like he did like an AMA or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> like that's where I found him. Like I was just on the internet, like anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Were you eating Cheetos on your couch? Uh, that's the question. No, but I'm, my diet was not great back then. But yeah. <laughs> that's excellent, man. Well, maybe let's talk a bit about that. So how do you keep that part of your life in check? Like I know you pursue your passions, like you like ice baths, you like uh, saunas, obviously, but you like writing, like you, you like diving into these stories and understand all these different, you know, you've written about false gurus, you've written about getting sucked into the enlightenment traps, you've written about kidnapping rings around the world, all these really wild things. On a day-to-day -day life, how, if you ever get off track, like do you ever get off track? And then if you do, how do you... Get yourself back in balance. Oh yeah, I, I generally think of my life as off track. Weirdly, like okay. you know, I, my my procrastination abilities are far more honed than my optimization. <laughs> I like abilities. this. Okay, <laughs> um, you know, uh -huh. I can sit around and waste eight hours in the day, no trouble. But uh -huh. I do have, like, you know, you know, there's the, this idea between tactics and strategy when you think about military stuff, right? right. Tactics are the, the, the soldiers on the ground and their actual movements engaging the enemy. And then there's strategy, which is like, we must move the armies from France to Germany. These are sort of big movements. The way I look at my life is like, I'm really good at strategy and I am shitty at tactics. Okay. Right? So I, I can be like, look, I want to get a book done by next December, right? Mm -hmm. This is my, my goal. Next December, I want a book done. And so what do I need to do to get that? And I sort of plan that out. You know, you need to have a chapter done by next month. And then another, you know, there's 12 chapters in the book. A chapter a month would work. You know, you sort of like figure out what that long term, you know, over the course of one to five years, like mm -hmm. you make a plan. You say, I'm going to get it done by the end of five years. And, uh, and so then if I just do a little bit every day, like a book is 80,000 to 100,000 words, right? right? So you do the math on that and you write 500 words a day during weekdays and you have a book done in like eight months and you can still take vacation. So go for it. Like, like it's really not that hard to, to plan and do big things if you break it off into, into really small chunks. So then, you know, you do your 500 words a day and there's some more structure to this, obviously, but 
you know, once you've accomplished something, you can jack off the rest of the, the day. <laughs> uh, and, uh-huh. and, and then it turns out that I have like a whole shelf full of books that I've written because I'm 42 years old now and I have one, two, three, four, five or six books that I've written. Uh-huh. Um, it's people think that oh, five or six books, that's a lot. But if you're writing them once every like couple of years, it just sort of adds up. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> This is this is sort of my life advice is, 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 you know, have big plans, try to think strategically what your long term, what do you want to be like if you can answer that question. And then you say, I need a goal to get there, then you don't need to do any extra work other than the stuff that you need to do to get to that goal. Hey, listeners, if you're looking to amplify your income and become an authority figure in your space by getting booked on podcasts that your target audience is already consuming, then listen up. Our podcast sponsor today is Podcasting You. Podcasting You helps entrepreneurs just like you generate leads for their business, increase business revenue, and become thought leaders in their niche of choice. Podcasting You takes care of finding the right podcast for you to be on, writing your pitch, booking and scheduling you on podcast, and even preparing you for each interview you do. They've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs get booked on thousands of podcasts, and they've booked people on top-rated podcasts like Andrew Warner's Mixergy, Jamie Masters' Eventual Millionaire, and the Mike Dillard Podcast. If you're interested in getting booked on more podcasts, go check out podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method. That's podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method, and they will give you $250 off your first package. I've been a guest on many podcasts, and I can tell you that I've benefited handsomely both financially and for brand awareness from being on other people's shows. So go reach out to those guys at Podcasting You. And now back into the interview. I'm always curious because like, you know, we study a lot and talk a lot to people that that are successful and talk about their success tactics and how they stay on top of things. But like when your day is shit, like when your day is, you know, you just don't feel like doing anything um, and you feel off. You know, you don't feel like riding, you don't feel like ice bathing, you don't feel like any of that. What do you do? Like how is there, do you have any, any, uh, anything that you use? Like for me, exercise or, um, sure. going to visit with friends or something like helps get me back into a better state of mind. Anything that you use to, you, to you got to break your routines, right? So if you're mm-hmm. in a rut, you have to go find a way to get out of that rut because if you're in, in the sort of a self reinforcing pattern of any sort that you get really good at that pattern and it can be difficult to emotionally or physically leave it. Uh, So uh, having various sorts of variation in your day that hit your sort of nervous system different way. So like a cold shower is great because it's hard. You don't want to do it. No one ever wants to do a cold shower, right? But then it's a huge variation in what your nervous system is feeling. Yeah. So that automatically gets you like like it's telling your body a different language and okay, I'm going to get going to go change. I like, I I do, um, you know, when I try to work with, do stuff with friends, sometimes I'll do this kettlebell passing, which I write about in the wedge, but I also have a very sort of established um, cycling habit. You know, I, I, I've gone about 20, uh, 2,300 miles this year on my bike and I've, and I've probably, I'm hoping to get 25 or maybe 3000, depending on the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have things that I, I will go back to that are physical uh, and that sort of break your mind. So if you're sitting in front of your computer, that's like one sort of like downtime. Uh, your nervous system is in a parasympathetic state, which means like the opposite of fight or flight. Right. And then when you do exercise, you put yourself more into that fight or flight mode. And so that's, that's binary um, uh, 
those are like polar opposites of your nervous system. Your nervous system only has two ports it can go to, which is fight or flight or rest and digest. Right. Uh, and if you can toggle between those, you're going to get out of your rut. Yeah. Uh, because the ruts really are sticking in one place. And, you know, the other rut is, of course, anxiety, which is where you're always in fight or flight. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what you're doing. You're always like sort of freaked out because like COVID's going to come and get you. Uh, so <laughs> so you need to you need to like turn off the COVID knob for a little bit and think about some other stuff for a while. Um, and, um, you know, there's lots of little of, of tricks that I talk about in my book to create variation. Uh, and it's like emotional and physical variation, which are important. That said, I've been in ruts before. Like sometimes you have a bad day. Like I don't, I never beat myself up over. If I had like, like my last three days, I was like a, you know, a, a lump of meat that was doing nothing interesting. <laughs> I, on the fourth day, I don't say, well, that's, I, I don't get depressed over that. I say, okay, well, I can do something else if I want to. Right. And, and I think that's really important is not to be judgmental of yourself because we're all sort of broken humans, right? We're all like, none of us are perfect and, and there's no even, desire of from me to to want to be perfect yeah i like that i like how you say it, like we are all broken humans in one way or another um but that's kind of really the premise of the book right to 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 change your state of mind change your physiological excuse me physiological that word <laughs> reaction <laughs> in order to get into a different state and right. you talk about the multiple different ways that you can do that through the book but also how it operates our brain states and how it affects our bodies and one thing that that i found interesting and i'd like to learn more about is i think you went to stanford to the neuroscience laboratory to learn more about flow states and how to keep focus during that time. Can you share a bit about that? So I went to Andrew Huberman's lab, who's recently gotten very famous because he was on Joe Rogan and yeah. you know, all sorts of like big name stuff. So I, I met him probably three or four years ago originally. And I went to, I, I hung out with him a few times in, in, at Stanford. Uh, what he was doing at that time was putting people into a virtual reality simulator okay. where there were sharks swimming around them. Okay. And the idea, and then he would measure their autonomic arousal. So, that, so the, the, the parts of your body that are not conscious, mm -hmm. how alert they are essentially. And he was sort of looking at that. And that's, this goes back to that sympathetic, parasympathetic, fight or flight, rest and digest stuff that I was talking about. Right. And so the people he put in the virtual shark tank um, were people who were sensitive, like who were, who were anxious people, right? Because when I got there, I swam with the virtual sharks and I was like, whatever, like, because I'm not a particularly anxious person right. and a movie of a shark does not like trigger me. Yeah. You know, maybe if it was Stephen King's It, I would get, <laughs> um, but virtual sharks, not so much, but for somebody who is like a, a shark, a phobe, uh -huh. right. And you put them in a shark tank, that's enough to trigger anxiety responses. So what he was doing is putting them in this, this contraption, uh, where you're in sort of a VR world where it sort of looks like the real thing sort of sounds like reality, but it's not, you're actually in a safe spot. So it, he's putting you in a contrasting location where there's the thing that makes you anxious, mm -hmm. but you also know in your mind that you're safe. Right. Uh, so it's this contrast between this thing that triggers you and you being like, no, I am okay. And he was using this, he was studying their responses, but psychologists can then use this to, as a treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. As exposure therapy, you're afraid of sharks. We'll get we'll show you some virtual sharks and you'll slowly get desensitized to, you know, your shark fear and you'll be less anxious. Uh, and it, 
truly interesting. And, and one of the things that I learned with Huberman is that sensation, the, 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 the things you feel mm -hmm. physically, whether it's hot or cold or ticklish or like what any sensation that you feel equals as an is emotion. Okay. okay. And, and this is something I never really thought about, but even in, in, when we speak in English, we say, oh, I'm feeling sad today. I'm feeling happy today. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that word feeling is also a physical sensation that we have, right? You, when you're feeling sad, it's not only a mental construct, you know, my mom said something mean to me. Now I'm sad. Mm -hmm. It's actually like, you know, sometimes I imagine sadness as like, if my brain were a bar, someone was bending it, right? It was like the feeling that a bar would have when it bent. I don't know why that's in my head, but that's how I feel with <laughs> okay. sadness, how I would describe it. <laughs> but whatever it is, um, it, it's sort of ineffable to sort of defies words, but it's a, it is a sensation. Right. When we think about cold, for instance, like we, we go back to the ice bath, you jump in the ice bath and it sucks at first. You mm -hmm. hate it, right? It is the worst emotion. It, it, it's like horror and abject, you know, life or death is going on in, in there. But then you, you train yourself to say, no, I can deal with the ice bath. I, like it may sort of suck a little bit, but I can get through it. And then eventually you realize that, no, it's actually sort of fun. It's yeah. actually sort of interesting. It's like a challenge I'm overcoming. It's actually, and you're changing the emotional balance uh -huh. of that sensation. And that's fascinating because now you've sort of transformed what the ice bath is emotionally, but it also changes your physiology, as we talked about in our previous conversation, right? How when you jump into the ice bath, your physiology changes, but your emotional state also changes. Right. Now, if we take this over into fear, anxiety, or whatever, you can do a similar thing where you change the valence of that emotion or the thing that triggers the emotion so that it becomes something which is not so bad. Okay. Um, and it's not the same as saying buck up get over it and grit your way through it that's not what i'm saying it's not like you ignore your emotions but you could actually alter the way that we encounter and react to emotions right uh and and yeah the, the, to get into all the bi biology is a little bit difficult but essentially if you're able to know if you're if you're in a in a, an emotional state that's giving you in a, in a, in a you have a sensation that's coming in, um, it, it triggers an emotion and and so those things become equated. But if you're able to find the same emotion, right? Let's say it's happiness and you're happy in a in a sauna in a, in a like a 130 degree sauna. That that let's say that's happy for you, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you find a, 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 and let's say hap, uh, a bad state would be. Um, a conversation with your a difficult conversation with your wife, for instance, okay, right? Yeah. Well, what if you had that difficult conversation with your wife in a sauna, right? That might mm -hmm. create a different set of emotional valences because you have a different underpinning now and that you're combining sensations and emotions in, in sort of novel ways. Now, that sort of concept we apply to everything. Right. Uh, um, you know, we, 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 that sort of concept where you can apply to anything you feel, you realize that there's environmental signals that are coming in that you can try to start tweaking and, and that alters your consciousness. And, and also you can alter your consciousness to change the way you feel in the physical world. It's like sort of a two way street because there's you, that equal sign. Right. So do you like, if you, if you notice that you're having a, I guess you can say like a negative reaction to a situation, um, what's your process of either recognizing that or starting to work on that to make that reaction either diminish so you have more control mm -hmm. over it and then have a better result? 
Well, there's tons of ways to do it, but let's say I'm in a bad mental state, right? Mm -hmm. There's a bad feeling in mm -hmm. my body, right? Your brain can only pay attention to so many feelings at once for a number of like limited brain resource reasons. Okay. And if you know you're in a funk and that funk is a sensation, you can apply a different sensation to your body where your brain has to pay attention to this other sensation, which then alleviates the funk. And this, you know, people have been talking about this in various ways for eons, but one, one of the basic ways is go exercise, yeah. right? Because yeah. the exercise is a set of physical sensations and you're sort of overriding it for yeah. a little bit, right? And, and, and hopefully while you're doing that, you're thinking about something else, right? right? Or you're thinking about something positive. You're thinking, or you're thinking about that that thing that was getting you down in, in the in the in the physically new positive light that you can. And and so, which is not to say you avoid everything. Like the, the, like the, you could actually use the wedge to become a really broken person if you wanted to. <laughs> um, you know, you could use it to become like the very best anorexic you ever wanted to. <laughs> okay. um, which is not what I'm suggesting. But what you realize it is a tool to create a different emotional valences to your sensations. Yeah. So you you say, look, I'm in a funk. I'm going to do something that I know makes me feel good, mm -hmm. and I'm going to focus on those sensations, and then try to sort of think about this stuff that sucks in this different state. And oftentimes when you're in a funk, you're in a parasympathetic state, which means you're in your rest and digest state, which is supposed to be the positive state, mm -hmm. right? The rest and digest like in your bed is supposed to be like the awesomest place your body can be. But now you've, <laughs> you've created sort of the anxiety coming from your brain, right? And you're now attaching anxiety to the awesome place. Right. <laughs> Uh, and that's bad because then you and then that awesome place sort of like because you're getting these sensations from this this awesome place you're inflecting that with your shitty mood mm -hmm. uh, and so now you have to get into a different body state so if you're in parasympathetic go to sympathetic right and go fight or flight and then try to get some emotional state changes and then you'll find that unless you have inscribed negative emotions to every physical place you could be, which I guess could happen, but that would take some work. You start to have the tools to dig yourself out of that hole. Okay. Um, would this be a reason why some people have trouble sleeping? So they have n negative fear states, maybe when they go to sleep, when they're going into bed where they're supposed to be in their happy place. And then mm -hmm. throughout the night, they're just waking up and thinking about maybe just like in a cycle of negative thoughts yeah. over and over. Yeah, for sleep in particular, I think the best advice I ever had recently about having good sleep is don't bring your fucking phone into the bedroom. Yeah. This is the 100% you're having trouble sleeping. If you were doing the phone in the bedroom thing, you were going to sleep badly, yeah. almost like by definition. And and one of the reasons is because of actually my hanging out with Andrew Huberman mm -hmm. is that, um, and this is fascinating. So imagine our paleolithic ancestors right we are on the plains of africa and there's a lion on the horizon i, I like going back to this example a lot because you know none of us have actually seen our paleolithic ancestors but let's imagine <laughs> what he was doing right see he's he's on the, the plains of africa and there is a lion half a mile away and he can see it because he's got really good vision okay. <laughs> now when that lion is half a mile away so the way light gets to you, right, mm -hmm. is it, it's tra it, it sort of reflects off the animal and it goes to your eye and your eye is focusing on that. So, that, so your lens in your eye adjusts to the wavelength of the light in order to put it in focus. Okay. okay? And because it's at a long wavelength, because it's far away, um, your, your lens sort of moves, I guess it moves forward. I think it moves forward. Uh, and that 
tunes down your sympathetic response because because it's so far away. And the threat of that lion, yeah, you know, you conceive of that lion ripping you apart, but it's not going to do it right now. Right. right? Now imagine that lion spots you and starts running at you. Now, regardless of what's going in your mind about that lion's going to rip me up. Okay. That's, that's a different part of your brain and that does all sorts of things to you. Um, it's, it's running up to you and your lens moves closer to the back of your eye, right? Mm -hmm. And as the lens moves, your sympathetic nervous system ramps up because sympathetic, which is your fight or flight state, um, increases from physical distance. And so the lion gets up to you and then you're fighting the lion and you're in full fight or flight when you're there. Right. And part of that's because you've conceived in your brain that the lion can hurt you. But also the movement of your eye also changes mm -hmm. the, your, the way you get into the anxiety. So there's two systems going in and sort of attacking your brain. And weirdly, if you look at how the brain is structured, a lot of stuff comes up through the brainstem, your nerves come up through the brainstem, but the eyes actually connect directly into the brain. So right. there's a different pathway involved there. So now imagine in the present day, we live in rooms, right? I'm in a room right now. My the, 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 my wall is four feet from me there, or maybe four feet from me there. Everything is in a sympathetic state, okay? Right? Slightly. Yeah. You know, just looking at my lamp, it's in a sympathetic state. Now, now think about you holding your phone two feet from your face. It doesn't matter what it says, but it's two feet from your face. Therefore, you are in a slightly sympathetic state just because of the distance from your eyes. And that is just the way we are wired. It is an evolutionary mismatch. And now imagine a politician says something stupid. <laughs> I don't know I why, couldn't, why I could, they would do that. I couldn't imagine that happening at all. It's nonsense. <laughs> so a politician says something stupid and, and he is triggered at the, the distance where that lion can actually swap you with its claws. Uh-huh. And, and just simply because of that, we actually get riled up more on our phones because of social media and because of everything, simply because of proximity, yeah. because we were not, a, we didn't evolve with our phones. We didn't evolve getting in the, the existential threats were always sort of remote things right. from us, right? right. Or, or they were right on top of you, like literally going to kill you. Yeah. And, and now we've sort of mixed and matched that with the way our sort of culture and society have, have, have created. Now, in terms of sleep, if you're getting your threats right before you go to bed, you're going to be triggered in that auto on that autonomic fight or flight. Mm. So you're going to try to sleep when you've just been dumping adrenaline into your body, even like imperceptibly small adrenaline, right? I mean, right. it's not like it's the it's not like you pick this up and you're in full. Fight I don't know or flight, some just some some bit. of those things on the internet though they can they can boost a lot of adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, yeah they can, and, yeah. and then you don't have. And oftentimes, like the, the reason why you have adrenaline, right? The whole reason that's in your body is because you have a threat and you want to go deal with it. Like adrenaline decreases your pain threshold and gives you a little bit more energy, uh -huh. right? So, so you can go fight and you can, or flight. You can get the hell out of there. So, so in, the, in the old world, in this Paleolithic world, all of the problems were dealt with like you had an activity, the threat was coming and you stabbed the lion or you climbed up the tree. That's what you did. In our present day world, it's like this politician saying something dumb and they're going to blow up the planet. Like, and, and there's nothing you can do about that. Like right. you and I can't do crap about what, whatever, whichever side left or right you fall on or middle or whatever. Like, honestly, other than voting, which you should vote, um, other than voting, you don't really, you can't do it much in the world. 
And right. uh, unless you are a powerful politician or want to do something like crazy, like most of us are just sort of sitting here and all we did is the anxiety. We don't get the physical outlet. You know, right. we can't stab. We shouldn't stab um, the, the, the person who's, who's causing that problem. And so the, the internet creates a lot of like um, latent anxiety in all of us. This is why we're all angry right now because we don't have physical outlets. You know, this is why people, you know, someone says something dumb on the internet and like the sort of the farther people out there say, I'm going to go beat you up. I'm going to go do something because they're, they're trying to think in their brains yeah. that we need a physical outlet to this. Right. I'm not going to just answer you with words because words don't do anything, which honestly they don't. <laughs> um, all they do is make other people mad. Right. Right. And so essentially like that's kind of where, the the mass trolling will come in just from people that are looking at their phones from two feet away and their brain having that reaction to it and then mm -hmm. feeling like they have to do something having to reply to whatever post is on social media mm -hmm. or you know whatever video and then uh, reacting in that way i have the rule now in my life um to turn the phone off 30 minutes before bed and then keep it off until lunch the next day. And it's been one oh, of the, wow. yeah, it's been one of the best things that I've ever done. Uh, and I absolutely love it. Now, last week was a really crappy week and it was interesting because, um, my screen time came up and it said a little notification, your screen time on, on, uh, your phone was up 59% last week. And it made so much sense why I was feeling like crap on Thursday and Friday. I had really bad days. I couldn't figure what out what my funk was until I got that notification. I was like, I'm just spending way too much time on my phone. It's messing with my mm -hmm. brain. Like it's messing it up. So yeah, that's uh, it's phenomenal. And I think like the more we study it, it's more, you know, the more we get engaged with online stuff and the internet, the more we want to learn more and do more and, and embrace mm -hmm. it more. But also the more we realize that it's, it's, it's throwing our brains out of whack and we have yeah. to get off them. Yeah. Well, we need to do, I don't know. It, it, at the end of the day, have phones made our lives better or worse? I mean, probably a little better. bit better. Yeah. But but we do need to realize that we are also physical creatures. We don't just exist in the area of the mind. We have to do things. We have to be physical because if we don't, we get into these anxiety spirals. And this is why the wedge is really about contrast. It's about contrasting different physical states. I'm not saying throw out your phone. I'm, you know, I'm not saying just go live in an ice bath either. Like I'm saying, like you need, <laughs> you, need you, you need to read your phone in the ice bath. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> I wonder what that would do to a person. Right. Um, I'm saying that you need to, to, to move between a variety of different sensorial states. Yeah. Uh, and, and none of that, nothing is implicitly wrong, right? There's no implicitly wrong state as far as I'm aware, but it, but it is generally not a good idea to just stick in one of them. Yeah. Right. And and it, it's funny. A lot of people think I'm like the most extreme superhuman ever. Scott's always in his underwear on mountaintops. Right. That's, there's, there's like you're close, of people man. Who... <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true. Like it, it, the truth is that I do that stuff, but I also do the Netflix and Cheetos. Like I all I can be on both um, yeah. spectrums and that's OK, because it, it, it's not about. Because the people who are really hard chargers, they're like every minute must I must get it. I must I must 
you know, be on top of the mountain all the time. Those people are crazy, right? Yeah. Those people are like, like they're trying to fix a, a different side of their emotions because they can't rest. Yeah. They can't sit in that downtime because, um, you know, whatever they haven't dealt with is, is, is they're just as psycho. Actually, they're just as psycho as people are <laughs> just doing Cheetos. Uh, and so I'm a person who really thinks that you need to, to have multiple states. You have to have moderation, but also you need to have extremes. Absolutely. So, um, speaking of extremes, I've got to ask you about the five hours in the sauna, man. So last time you were on the podcast, I think you were getting a sauna installed or it was going to be installed after the show or something like that. And then I saw like, I, you know, I follow your stuff, but I don't follow it every single day. And then I just saw all of a sudden it's a, hey, Scott was in a sauna for five hours. I understand because I've read what doesn't kill us. And I've done a lot of cold extreme ice baths myself, but I, I haven't seen the, the, the heat intensity side of things i know wim hof ran through the mm -hmm. desert you know but um dude five hours and 180 degrees what how and why mm -hmm. so this was i went to something called a traditional latvian pierce which is just okay. the word for sauna in latvian uh where uh, i went there with my wife and we we sort of drove out into the, the sort of pretty rural countryside, sort of secluded grove. And we were met by two Pirtniks, which means the person who owns the sauna. But it also could be translated if you wanted to a shaman, okay? Where where we have a, a, the, these people here who are trained in sort of like traditional medicine. I mean, if, you if you're in Latvia and you ask someone what their religion is, like nine times out of 10, they're gonna tell you they're pagan, which uh -huh. I think is crazy and that's, awesome that's cool um, you know, you're like you're, you're a pagan you're like yeah we're pagan so it's basically, we didn't know you still existed well <laughs> so that, and like they spend time like foraging for mushrooms and stuff i mean they're they're interesting folk the uh -huh. latvians um and you know essentially these people look like garden gnomes they have like a little pointy hat uh, <laughs> you know you know they're made of felt and, and not so, not everybody from latvia just the the pyramids yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. actually it would be funny if it was everyone so let's just have <laughs> everyone in latvia wears pointy hats okay okay <laughs> <laughs> no, so these pyramids are there and and they uh, it's a it's a ritual it's like a five or six hour ritual and it starts with a with uh I mean, a weird ass tea ceremony where you eat, okay. you drink tea that's made from like the local environment. Uh, so I believe the tea was made out of wormwood, which is okay. like a, you know, sort of very bitter yellow tea. It was just oddly familiar, but it's sort of like, you know, pine needly bitter, like licking a dandelion sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we have, and then they, there's bread with honey in it and like pine needles in it. So it's sort of this weird contrast between what you're familiar with and not familiar with, but you're sort of mixing it all in one, one thing. So that we have a weird meal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, and then they, they, they begin, the, they, they do this next part of the ceremony where the, the Peter next tells to my wife and I to close our eyes and, uh, and they create this sort of like weird sound symphony around us where they take like. Um, they literally are like dancing around us while we're eyes are closed. And they're okay. like, like using like rain sticks to make the sounds of rain, like beating branches to make it sound like a storm. And at one point they have like a little music box where there's Furalise playing on the music box. Okay. I mean, it's just like a cacophony of weirdness. Okay. okay. And, okay. and we're sitting there, we're like, what the fuck 
are we doing? Because, you know, I'm not that sort of sage burning, you know, sort of hippie dude. Like, uh-huh. you know, that's not really my thing. So we're, we're, my wife and I are both like oddly uncomfortable and sort of sort of funny and whatever. And this dance sort of happens. And what I didn't notice, because we're in the tea room next to the sauna, it's just sort of a small space entirely, that as they're doing this, they had opened up the door to the sauna, which was at probably 300 degrees. They'd like really brought up the heat in there and that heat wafted into our room mm-hmm. and i didn't notice until i opened my eyes and that that the temperature was ridiculously hot because oh, i was wow. so we- confused by the weird ass dance okay. that <laughs> around me and then both laura and i look at each other and my, well laura's my wife and we both start sweating right then but okay. we weren't before this happened, right? And so that so this sort of misdirection ends up being a really important part of the sauna experience. So then we go into the sauna and, and Laura and I, we get naked and I'm an American, so it feels a little weird being naked in front of strangers. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, we lie down on these benches and it's like 180 degrees in, in the sauna and it gets hotter and hotter. And as, you know, we talk about, as you're sitting there and they're, they're doing things like rubbing honey on you and hitting you with branches of spruce. And the branches of spruce, incidentally, I realized were the things that we were eating in the other room. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so they're sort of like mixed and like beating us with wormwood and bouquets of flowers, all sorts of weird shit. Uh-huh. Um, but they're mixing the sensory stuff that they had in that original weird ass tea ceremony. Okay. And, and again, the temperature gets really high and you start sort of paying attention to the shit they're doing and not the temperature. Okay. And as your body gets to the point where you're like at that red line, like, Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. They'll like dip some flowers into like a bucket of water and put the water on your head and then bring you just down below that sensory red line. And they did this for, and then, you know, after like 45 minutes or an hour, then you jump into like cold water for two minutes and then you come back into the sauna. So, um, and, and you're doing all of these things. And, and what's fascinating about my sensory system at this time is, is uh, as they're beating me with a piece of wormwood, right? <laughs> okay, so they're hitting me uh-huh. and I start experiencing the hitting as sound. Okay. I start experiencing it as smell. And I get this essentially synesthesia that occurs in this, where my senses are so weirded out and confused by all of this mixing and matching of stuff mm-hmm. that I start experiencing in different brain pathways. And I'd never experienced synesthesia before, but like when you when you see the sound of wormwood, it's weird, right? Your, your brain is like, is like just confused. And it's also because your body's under stress at a very high temperature. Right, uh, right. And, and you're going through these contrasts where there's like, like you're getting, it's too hot. It's too, it's too, it's too hot. And then you're like a little bit of water and then you're like, okay, now I can take it for another five minutes. And yeah, you have five hours of this crap. And, and, uh, I felt like new at the end of it. Like, I, imagine. I felt like I'd been through something, you know, my wife had been through something. We'd been through something together. Uh-huh. And like my senses were like all cleaned out because they'd never, you know, I'd never heard something with my eyeballs before that was sort of cool. <laughs> so, um, I, and, and I felt like really rejuvenated and that, and that's essentially, how I got through that five hours of sauna. Um, and b- instead of just being a weird experience, like the question is, well, what was the point? Like, right. was it just a weird thing to do? Well, it's, it's really interesting that just about every indigenous system of medicine around the, wor- uh, around the circumpolar wor- world, so an area that gets cold, mm-hmm. has a sauna tradition of some site. And it's about putting contrast into people's um, e- e- experiences so that their bodies get better. And what, what you find is that 
the indigenous people, all the, the, the Lakota sweat lodge, the, right. the, the saunas in Finland and in Russia and, and, and where else, all of this is like a, a way of community coming together and actually alleviating depression, alleviating mm. the down states that come from being in sort of the dark winter months where you're sort of going in sympathetic, sorry, parasympathetic, 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 trying to get essentially hibernate. Right. This is trying to like wake you up again. And that, and, and there's some really fascinating research by this guy named Chuck Raison in um, at University of Wisconsin-Madison, who shows that if you put people into a sauna for just a few hours, you have a remarkably similar effect to somebody being on an SSRI, which is the like Prozac or, or um, you know, an antidepressant uh, for mm. three weeks. And, oh, really? and even just one sauna gives you enough contrast to really alleviate symptoms of depression. Uh, so yeah, that's why we did it. But it's like a longer sauna. Is it a longer sauna? Or can you do a 15 minute sauna and still get the uh, similar? He effects? did 40. I think his, that study was 45 minutes at 120. Okay. Uh, uh, so sort of longer, but not crazy hot is what he did. But I think I found that when I do saunas, I do them at about 200 now because okay. I have the sauna and I, but I'd only do about 15 or 20 minutes at that temperature i mean you sort of vary and you and ideally the best way to do a sauna is really hot and then roll around in snow all right really hot going to cold because hot we're ice. doing the, yeah. the you know because in the sauna um the environment is telling you calm the fuck down right slow down right and then you jump into the ice and it's like speed the fuck up right, right? so we're getting that contrast there um uh, and yeah um do you think like would the average individual be is this something that they could do or i know you guys practice wim hof breathing and you've done a lot of extreme mm -hmm. other things do you think do you need to uh do you need to set yourself up and train before you go into a sauna for five hours with these guys or is it something that anybody can do uh, i had no sauna training before i did this um right. so uh, I would not suggest you just go jump into a sauna without someone watching you. you like it was, yeah. you know, I, I had to trust these people. I don't know why I did because they were just garden gnomes. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, yeah. And pagan <laughs> and pagan too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you have to sort of be with somebody who's, who's watching you because it can be very dangerous, right? There's no, I mean, you could, the people absolutely have died in saunas. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it happened in, uh, Arizona not so long ago, right? There was a, these like five people who died in a sweat lodge uh, at some sort of like men's retreat or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Uh, James Arthur James Ray, that Ray, was the guy yeah. who did it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this shit can be dangerous. And I think that cold is much safer than heat in general because, you know, you jump in an ice bath, you can jump out and then you'll warm up. It, it's harder to cool yourself down once your internal temperature is really high. Uh, so yeah, more dangerous, but not like crazy dangerous. Like I think that hot yoga actually does the same principles as well. Absolutely. Like if you're in a, in a, in a really hot yoga studio, what you're doing is, is the, the normal yoga, which is like sort of parasympathetic. I mean, you do work in it, but then you're, you're, you're mixing that with the heat. And so it sort of intensifies the activity that you're in. And, mm. and that is, you know, when you exercise in heat, you get more heat adaptation. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's similar concept to the ice bath. So I just booked a uh, seven-day darkroom retreat down in Mexico that I'm going to oh. go do next month. And What does uh, that mean? You sit in a dark room, pitch seven black days. for seven days. Yeah. Are you eating? 
Uh, yes, they serve food through a little hole with a curtain over it so light doesn't come in, or you can fast, mm. choose to do fast. So like, I think I'll do a few days of coconut coconut water fast on the last few days, and then the first few uh-huh. days eat for, for a few of them. So I was curious, like, you know, applying some of these principles um, from the wedge and what you use, how... Uh, because, you know, seven days in the dark, I've never done anything like that. I've done a Vipassana meditation, which is seven days, but um, not in a complete darkness. So what what's the sort of the mental, um, uh, uh, how do they check up on you to be sure you're not going crazy? Um, well, you always have access to leave, you know, they don't like yeah. lock you in there. Um, and uh, you can, you know, they give you a pen and a piece of paper, even though it's complete darkness. So you can write something on a note and say, hey, you know, something's, you know, bad or anything or, and, and knowing that you're taking the food, you know, obviously means that mm. the food is no longer mm. in the little cubby hole that they send it through. Mm. Um, but also something that not a lot of people have done, but something that I found incredibly called to do when I first heard about it. And I thought, Hey, you know, this mm. seems like a new, uh, new, very interesting thing. So, yeah. Uh, but apparently like what it's doing is, uh, because you're in, it's, it's affecting your brain, your sleep patterns, mm-hmm. uh, melatonin levels, um, and also releasing some natural DNT, DMT inside of your brain, mm-hmm. um, similar to kind of what Wim Hof breathing does, um, to visualize and, you know, mm-hmm. deepen your meditation. Well, Sounds fascinating. I'd love to hear how that goes. I will. I'll, I'll let you know, man. We're going to do a podcast and a YouTube video about it. I've got a friend of mm. mine that's a YouTuber, and he's going to take it. Is it video. just going to be like a black screen with no sound? <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> this is what we did. Keep listening. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait, wait till the end. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm excited. So. Um, but I'll definitely like take some of those tips that I've learned from you and, and, uh, over the years talking about how you master, um, hard and uh, difficult tasks and, and apply I think the breath work would be interesting. I think if you do the sort of like breathing <laughs> this... that I write about in the wedge, so I, there's a particular type of Wim Hof breathing uh-huh. that releases more DMT than the other one. Um, uh-huh. so I write about that in the wedge. I think that I, I did it while I was doing ayahuasca and I had a very interesting experience. Oh, I could it. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got seven days, so. What else am I going to do? No, actually the guy was like, he was telling me if you're going to do any breathing techniques or anything, please do it while you're on the floor. Because one of the yeah. girls came, she did some Wim Hof breathing while she was on a chair. She passed out and she knocked her head. Three days yep. later, she came up, she had a big old scar and a big knot on her head. And she's like, it's not your fault. I just did Wim Hof and passed out in the yep. darkness yep. <laughs> while I was on this chair. And, and, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be doing that as well see what yeah oh yeah always do wim hof lying down i mean yeah always yeah well you don't do like in a maybe on the floor in a lotus position yeah. ever you're always lying oh. down oh 100 lying down yeah i mean because the passing out's a real risk yeah um and uh and i think i go deeper uh when i'm lying down i mean, I, I i think when i first started i did you know maybe a year i was doing sitting up and i just have better experiences lying down I think I think for me I can deep, uh, breathe deeper lying down, like because of, mm-hmm. maybe because the body's expanded and not crunched over so much. So cool. Sure. Um, okay, man. Well, let's wrap things up. Like you, you're you've got a new book coming out. You got a couple podcasts. You've got the Wild Thing podcast and Syndicate podcast. Do you want to talk about those real quick before we close? 
Sure. Yeah. So I run a small media company that does, you know, I, I, it put out the wedge. Um, it's called Foxtopus Inc. Uh, and we also have podcasts uh, if you are into the audio thing. There's also audio books. Um, but one of the podcasts is called Wild Thing, which is put out by my wife, who I mentioned. We were naked in the sauna together. Um, <laughs> she has, she's a former NPR reporter uh, who is, you know, or sort of former NPR editor for 10 years. And she found out that her, long lost cousin was the preeminent academic expert on Bigfoot. And, oh, uh, yes. and he was, you know, a tenured professor at Washington State University. And he had died before Laura got to meet him. But she was like, well, how could this guy spend like his whole life looking for Bigfoot and yet also be taken seriously by academics? So then she spent a year looking for Bigfoot. Uh, and, uh, and like, the, the answer, you know, she finds some interesting things, but they're really the question is like, why, what's the fascination with this sort of absurd topic, but what's the science behind it? And so that season has been out for two years. We just put out another season about the search for extraterrestrial life where we, you know, she's going from everywhere from Roswell to SETI, right? From NASA to the fighter pilots who are seeing these, these um, strange objects uh, out of their airplane windows. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a fascinating romp called, uh, called Wild Thing. Wild Thing. Okay. And Syndicate is the other one, oh, correct? Yeah, the Syndicate is uh, also ours. And it's about the largest marijuana bust in Colorado history, mm. uh, where these people were growing just immense quantities, like warehouses full of pot, because uh -huh. uh, pot's legal in right. Denver and Colorado, but they weren't selling it in Denver because one of the things that's crazy about pot is that while well, you can buy a pound in Denver for, I think it's $2,000, um, if you just trot that over to Minnesota, you can get $5,000 for it. <laughs> so, so they found this out, this great arbitrage scenario. And, you know, it's, it's like a five-year run about the sort of the rise and then catastrophic fall of this uh, weed smuggling organization. So that's like sort of true crime, fascinating story nice. um, with some some there's like skydiving planes involved with it you know and there's these some coked out drug running stuff you'll you'll enjoy it man, most most interesting man in the world most interesting couple in the world right there you guys <laughs> got, got that going on okay so if anybody wants to learn more about scott check out the wedge the book or scottcarney.com you can find all the details there um and his podcast any final words before we sign off scott no, thanks for so much for uh, for having me on. And, you know, uh, yeah, scottcarney.com. The company is called Foxtopus Inc. It's a fox and octopus made it and squirted out some ink. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on all your success over the, the past few years, Thank man. You. I'm thoroughly impressed in what you're doing and going to continue to follow you on your journey over the years, too. Maybe, if we're lucky, we'll get you on the show a few years down the road. Um, whenever you do your next crazy thing. So <laughs> sounds good. See you at, see you at episode 583. 583. That'll be it. Listeners, thank yeah. you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, yeah. everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.